congregation, I'd like to read with you uh, the text passage that I hope to concentrate on, uh, particularly in Ephesians chapter 1, then the verses 6, 7, and 8. Ephesians 1, the verses 6, 7, and 8. As we read as follows. To the praise, speaking there of Jesus Christ, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. I want to concentrate on that. Now, dear congregation, One of the things that a believer experiences when he gets a bit older, and now I'm speaking in a very personal way, that the older I get and the longer I'm in the ministry of the gospel, the more I find it important to concentrate on the person and work of Jesus Christ. The more I can say about the Lord Jesus Christ the better it is. Because after all, he is the one who draws. He is the one who attracts. He is the one who has the power to set you and me free from our sin. In fact, we are told that it is his blood that washes us, that cleanses us from all sin. Not only that, but the Lord Jesus Christ is being brought to the foreground through the preaching of the word. Because the Lord Jesus himself once said of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, as it were, pushes Jesus Christ to the foreground and will show us all things about Jesus Christ. And so it's the Holy Spirit's desire, too, to have the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ come to the foreground in the preaching. And this is also what I hope to do as well this morning with you. Now, the Apostle Paul who has written this particular letter, Ephesians, is a a man who knew, he met personally in a certain way when he was converted, he knew the Lord Jesus Christ, who he was, who he is, and what he can do. And for him to declare Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior was his greatest glory. And this is also what we find here in our text. He, that is the Apostle Paul, wants to set out very clearly to you and to me who the Lord Jesus Christ is, not only for him, but who the Lord Jesus Christ can be for you and for me. Whoever you are, who the Lord Jesus Christ can be for you and for me. And so what we want to consider this morning then, and and I have that as my theme, as well, so that you can understand it and follow Jesus Christ for the praise of the gospel of salvation. Jesus Christ for the praise of the gospel of salvation. And in the first place, I want to say something about a special term for Jesus Christ, another, uh, another name for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then secondly, a special aspect of his salvation, what that salvation is really all about. 
And then thirdly, a special gospel of the salvation. So the last part will really be a, a call to conversion, a call to repentance, a call to faith in Jesus Christ, so a special gospel of his salvation. So let then consider, um, in the first place, a special term for Jesus Christ. Now, congregation, at a certain point, the Apostle Paul has spoken of Jesus Christ as our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a special term that the Apostle Paul uses, and it is very fitting that he has that name, you see, because it spells reverence for you and for me, reverence of you and, and of me for the Lord Jesus Christ, and also it calls for submission to the Lord Jesus Christ in terms of you and me. It's very fitting, therefore, that we speak of the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I think we could all be more reverent, couldn't we? We could all be more submissive, so that it is good, therefore, to be able to speak of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the Apostle Paul wants to stress also here. But here in our text, particularly as we begin to look at our text, verses verse 6, Paul uses a term for the Lord Jesus Christ that actually speaks volumes, volumes. He uses there that special term of the beloved, the beloved. Now, it is not accidental, congregation, that Paul uses this particular term. No, the Apostle Paul deliberately says at this point, the beloved, and he has a special purpose for calling the Lord Jesus Christ as the beloved. How so? Well, Paul wants to impress you and me about of the greatness of the salvation connected with this person, Jesus Christ, the beloved. He is known as the beloved. That means that Paul wants wants to awe us with the magnitude of this person called Jesus Christ the Beloved and what he means for your and my salvation. After all, we know that God has chosen some to salvation. The Bible teaches that, doesn't it? God adopted some as children to himself and that not through some court rulings, not through some legal paperwork, not through some powers or through some persuasions, but through the person known as the Beloved. God got someone involved who is known, therefore, as the Beloved. Now, again, this is then a special term for Jesus Christ in order to tell us what God the Father gave up and what God the Father sacrificed so that sinners like you and me can be saved. God gave up. God sacrificed that which was and is most precious, most dearest, most closest to his heart, that is, his very own son, the Beloved. And we can hear the Father actually proudly use this special term at the very baptism of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, 
when a voice was heard to speak from heaven, this is my beloved son. Or literally, as you can read it in the original, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And again, we find this recorded in Matthew 17, verse 5 as well, as to what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, when the voice of the Father was heard again, and some of the disciples who were there, they heard it as well. This is my Son, the Beloved. Hear Him. Hear Him. Now this tells us already, dear congregation, what kind of relationship there is between God the Father and God the Son. And what kind of attachment there is between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus Christ, you see, is first and foremost the beloved of the Father, of the Father. And you know, this was true already in eternity past, if you want to call it that. We get a glimpse of that, for instance, in a beautiful chapter, chapter, book Proverbs, chapter 8 and verse 30, where the son speaks of his relationship to his father. And just listen to what it says. And what he says, then I, speaking, Jesus Christ speaking here, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. In other words, the son was then already the beloved of the father, the delight of the father. And no purer, no higher, no more sublime love relationship could be possible than that love relationship between the Father and the Son. It was their eternity past. They were then already together, loving one another in a pure way. The Father, you see, was never without the Son, and the Son was never without the Father, and they loved each other with a pure and with a sublime love, which cannot be fathomed by any earthly measurements in any way. They were immensely rich in each other's company and in each other's love. They delighted in each other's company and in each other's love so that the Son could, in fact, at one time say to the Father, as is recorded for us in John 17, verse 24, you loved me before the foundations of the world. In congregation, this is what you and I are to think about this morning. Because Paul uses this term, the beloved, here in our text. And we are to think, therefore, of the inseparable love relationship which the Father has to the Son. And this is what you and I are to be impressed with as well, that in the midst of this sublime love relationship which the Father has with the Son, we get to hear this news from the Bible, that the Father gave His only begotten Son, the Beloved, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Father gave his beloved. The Father gave his Son, the beloved, for the salvation of sinners, the likes of you and me.
No, more yet. More than that yet. The father sacrificed his son, the beloved. He distanced himself from his son at the climax of that sacrifice when he severed, you could say, that love relationship with his son, when he, the son, hung on that cross on Calvary and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was for the sake of saving sinners, you see, whom God had chosen, whom God had predestined, that God the Father gave up and sacrificed the beloved and severed that love relationship for at least three dark hours when the sun hung on the cross as he was busy sacrificing himself for the likes of you and me. Now, my friends, are you at all touched by what God the Father has done in order to save sinners? Are you at all impressed with what the Father gave for your and for my eternal happiness? The Father gave the best. He gave the dearest. He gave the closest to himself. He gave the beloved. Now, do you know what that means, congregation? It means that the love of God towards sinners is comparable to the love which God has towards his son, the beloved. John 17, verse 23, allows me, therefore, to make that comparison. When Jesus at one time says to his father, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, that is, those in the world, as you have loved me. Now, has the love of God ever made you stop and think, dear people? Has the love of God ever made you stop and think? Has the love of God ever humbled you and made you wonder, who am I? That I should be the object of such love. That the father was in fact willing to give up the beloved. In order to have me saved. And to be in communion with me. And me with him. That the God of salvation is so loving. Now dear congregation. This special term which Paul uses here for Jesus Christ. The beloved is a term deliberately used by the Apostle Paul to remind us, therefore, of the great love of God the Father for sinners the likes of you and me. And you have come to believe in him. You may then also be assured that the love which the Father has shown for you is like the love that he has for his Son, Jesus Christ, the Beloved. Now, does this not tell us something, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord? With our text words, Paul wants to impress you and me of the great privilege that we have in knowing the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Having become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that you and I, having believed in Jesus Christ, that we are to be thankful towards God the Father for such love that he has for his beloved 
to give to give him to us. Of course, it needs to be said as well that the same message is meant to stir the conscience of any that are still in their sin. How could anyone callously continue in sin and continue in unbelief knowing that such love has been at work to provide salvation from sin. Just imagine the great love that has been at work and then to say, ah, well, big deal. We can't do that. We we ought not to go in that direction. I therefore urge you, dear brother or sister, that if this love of God is spurned, is rejected, you will have to answer for it someday, particularly on the day of judgment. God so loved that he gave. But if that gift is rejected by you, if it is not believed on by you, you cannot take comfort in the love of God, but you must expect something the very opposite. That is the wrath of God. I spare you from it. Dear people, consider therefore your spiritual state. Has the love of God already humbled you? If not, then repent to God. As it says in Psalm 2 verse 12, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Well, now, let's go back to our text verse. We have heard something of that special term then for our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, he is known as the Beloved. Let us now consider in the second place the special aspect of his salvation. Paul goes on here to uh, tell us in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, congregation, we learned just a few moments ago that the Father has a special relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ, a very special attachment to Jesus Christ, that is, the attachment of love. We've heard about that now. But believers also have a very special attachment to Jesus Christ. An attachment that should stimulate us as believers to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that attachment to Jesus Christ which every believer has? Well, it is the attachment of redemption. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you could say, I have redemption through his blood. Now, what is redemption? What is that? Well, it means deliverance by payment of a ransom. That's what redemption means. Deliverance by the payment of a ransom. And so, also for our younger generation, our boys and girls, let's become familiar with this term. It is, in fact, a slave market term. It is a term used to set slaves free from the bondage of slavery. It is connected to the word redeem, which means to buy up by paying up. To buy up by paying up. Now, each believer was like any other sinner. 
a slave. I, at one time, was a slave to sin, in bondage to the service of sin. At that stage, I could not help but sin, and that is the normal situation with all of us at one time, unless the Lord in a special way had already regenerated us, caused us to be born again in the womb. But normally we are born in sin, aren't we? Normally we are born in sin. And then we follow the dictates of sin. Now, that means, of course, that sin was my livelihood. Sin was my ambition. And to some greater or lesser extent, sin was then also my pleasure. And then the worst part of it is this, that this slavery in the service of sin will eventually destroy me physically and spiritually if there's no change. However, as an unbeliever, at that time, I could not accept the fact and I will deny it and I will push it out of my thinking I will just say, uh, I don't need to worry about it. It's just some religious hype. I excuse myself. And that is how it is with sinners. They excuse themselves, you see. But now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will see the truth of it, will have acknowledged it, and will then also have confessed it, and will have to look and will find itself looking to Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And that is a look of faith. A look of faith. All this is done by the work, by the help of God the Holy Spirit. Believers in Jesus Christ will therefore be able to repeat what the Apostle Paul tells us here in our text. In him we have redemption through his blood. Now, dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We are delivered from the slavish service of sin. The price, that is the ransom price, has been paid. We have redemption through his blood. Jesus Christ, you see, paid the highest price possible. When he sacrificed himself on the cross, his blood flowed profusely. No, more than that. He shed his blood even. And the blood of this beloved Jesus Christ has then become the redemption price, the ransom price to set us free from the slavery of sin. Now does that mean that after we've been set free from the slavery of sin, we don't sin anymore? Sad to say. Yes, we do still sin. You and I, we know better, don't we? And it is to our grief and it is to our shame that at times we catch ourselves sinning. And we also know, and that not in the least, to the grief of Jesus Christ who has saved us from sin. Because dear believing brother or sister, Whenever we commit a sin, we grieve our beloved Savior. That's why we, we don't want to sin. But our body still does that once in a while. Our flesh, you see, it still wants to do that once in a while. 
But now, this gives us another aspect of attachment yet to Jesus Christ. As our text tells us, that we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, Gary, this is one thing that, that unbelievers cannot say, that we have the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Unbelievers can't say that yet, because they have no forgiveness as yet. The sins that they do, they, as it were, continue to pile up higher and higher before the face of God. And on Judgment Day, that pile of sin will then come crashing down with its condemnation all upon them. But as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. And this is not only once when we initially turn to Christ in faith, but we have the forgiveness of our sins daily. Daily sins are forgiven. Why? Because of the riches of God's grace. And again, as I've said already, as believers, yes, sadly, we do sin. But our sins do not stockpile before the face of God, you see. Because as we are convicted of one or of the other sin by word and by Holy Spirit, and as we sorrow in heart and confess such a sin to God, which we should, then we too may be assured of the forgiveness through Christ. We may be assured then of having our sins wiped out, because that is really what forgiveness is, isn't it? It's be having it wiped out through Christ. Forgiveness through Christ. We may be assured of this. We have our sins wiped out before such sins can actually begin to stockpile before the face of God. And so, as believers, we may therefore rejoice with Paul, even with the words of our text, we have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now, dear people, can you identify with what Paul is saying here in our text? Can you personally also confess redemption from the slavery of sin and the forgiveness of sins? Do you know the significance of, of daily repentance and of daily confession? You see, this is necessary. As I said already, and repeated several times already, that we still sin daily, don't we? But with daily repentance and with daily confession, we may also be assured of daily forgiveness. This is why we, as believers, may have such an attachment to the Lord Jesus Christ and why we want to do what is right and what is pleasing to him. We don't want to grieve him with our sins, do we? We have redemption from sin and the forgiveness of, of sin because of what he has done. Do you know... Do you have such an attachment with Jesus Christ, dear brothers and sisters? And are you conducting yourself Christ-like, pleasing to him? Surely this is what the Apostle Paul is, is after when he speaks to us about the privileges that we have being redeemed. It's enough to make any one of us say during any temptation to sin, I cannot and I will not indulge 
in this sin because I am redeemed. I don't want to grieve my Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let us therefore be be Christ-like in every facet of our life and give praise to God for all that he has done. And that's really the special gospel that comes to you, doesn't it? That's what I want to speak of in the last place. Dear people, there is a special way in which the gospel through Jesus Christ comes to each one of us, including myself. In our text, verse 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that God has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now that word prudence can also be translated as understanding or insight. Congregation, and let us understand this well. God is the embodiment of wisdom. If anyone has any understanding, if anyone has any insight, it surely is God. Now, if God, in his wisdom and insight, has prepared such an awesome salvation for us through Jesus Christ, the Beloved, Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent on our part to believe in his word and to believe in the beloved, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ? It would be wise, it would be prudent, it would be best for us to do so. You see, God has abounded towards us. He is overflowing in the riches of his grace. He's flooding us with the riches of his grace. His promises are brought to us in abounding measures even. The good pleasure of his will is revealed to us plentifully and clearly. God's word, yes, it comes to us in warnings, in exhortations, but also with encouragements even this hour. Jesus Christ, the beloved, dear people, is presented and declared to us as the all-sufficient Savior. He, as the beloved of the Father, is presented to us by the Father for redemption from sin, for forgiveness of sin, and for a Christ-like life. Now, would it therefore not be wise for each one of us, dear people, to show reverence and submission to Jesus Christ and learn to say with Paul and with all believers, our Lord Jesus Christ. Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent to bow for this word and to submit to this word and to take advantage of the riches of his grace? Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent to repent if you haven't done so as yet? I believe it is wise and prudent to do so. Would it not be wise, would it not be prudent to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if you have not come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ yet? In fact, it would be downright foolish, I dare say, and imprudent not to do so. Well, what is it then to believe in Jesus Christ? What is it to believe in Jesus Christ, dear friend? To believe in Jesus Christ means to have that certain knowledge of Jesus Christ, as you've heard something about that this morning, but also an assured confidence in Jesus Christ, as our Heidelberg Catechism, for instance, teaches. 
So knowledge of Jesus Christ and assurance, confidence in Jesus Christ. So to believe in Jesus Christ means to take your eyes off of yourself, stop looking at yourself, and to look to Jesus Christ. To believe in Jesus Christ, to say it in different words, means to entrust your whole sinful self to him. To him, Jesus Christ, who is fully trustworthy and who knows the beloved, who knows to be the beloved of the Father, who knows exactly what you need. To believe in Jesus Christ is to be open to what he has to say, to be open to what he has done by way of his sacrifice and to be open for his love to be poured into you. To believe in Jesus Christ means to find hiding and shelter and cleansing with Jesus Christ, as one hymn tells us so eloquently. And I want to quote a little bit of that hymn. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure Cleanse from me its guilt and power. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. And here's where this, this faith aspect, what it means to believe, comes into the picture beautifully. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Therefore, dear friends, be wise, be prudent, whoever you may be. There's a special way in which the gospel of salvation has come to you this hour. Therefore, do not procrastinate. Do not postpone and think that you have more time to deal with this matter. Do not wait until you are in a more serious frame of heart and mind and say to yourself, well, now I better do something about it. Do not lay it aside at all. Today, as the Lord says, and it says in his word, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart because procrastination, postponement, waiting and laying aside of what you have heard is nothing but the beginning of a heart that is in the process of hardening itself. Therefore, look to him. Look to him who has been described to you as the beloved and be saved, be redeemed, and revel, yes, revel in the riches of his grace.